0: This is Two Minutes About Time with Luke Allen and Robert E.G. Black, the podcast that takes a look at the film about time, two minutes at a time. I'm Richard Curtis, and I hope you enjoy it. And if you don't, well, you can just travel back in time two minutes and listen to something
1: else. I'm one of your hosts, Luke Allen. I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Robert E.G. Black.
0: Hello.
1: And we're joined today with special guest Ewan.
2: Hi, guys. Hello.
1: So to the listeners, to any of the listeners who don't know who you are, are you able to briefly introduce yourself, to them?
2: Yeah, I'm an actor, and I've done a bit of writing, and done a lot of TV comedies over the years, best known probably for playing Keith in the UK version of The Office.
1: And I, I really like your, your little short tag in um, Life's Too Short as well, which is really...
2: That's awesome. right, yeah, that was a little bit of fun at on, on the end of uh, an episode. Bit of a throwback, bit of a callback, yeah, to the office character. I mean, Ro- Robert, did did, did Life's Too Short make its way into the
1: States? Because I feel like it was one of Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant's things that just
2: I know hardly heard, anyone
1: knows about.
3: <laughs> I know I've heard of it, but I've never seen it, so maybe it didn't come over here, really.
1: It, it, it's, it feels very different to the other stuff. And I mean, I don't like it as much, but considering the standard they set with everything else, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think it's, it's, it's Yeah,
2: a it, was a, it was a little bit bitty. It was a little bit bitty. It didn't quite, uh, hang together.
1: Mm. But yeah, I mean, I, I liked the, uh, the end special, uh, that they did. That was good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the first series, it, it was all right, but it, it's not one I rewatch as much as The Office or Extras or things like that.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so you and you said before recording that this is your first experience with the film About Time.
2: It is. It's, uh, I'll tell you this, um, Basically, after I've watched uh, Notting Hill, I said to myself, uh, I'm never ever going to watch another Richard Curtis film again. (laughs) And uh, I've stuck to it. I've stuck to it. I've never seen a a, a Richard Curtis film since Notting Hill.
1: Well, as as a massive Richard Curtis fan, I I congratulate you, because he also has done a heck of a lot that you, I assume, had to avoid what many would consider some pretty good films, but I assume you would not. (laughs) Um, I would
2: probably not. I, I would say. Um, I, I think of the. I'm trying to think of the films I have missed. They're, they're obviously big hitters. I mean, but... yesterday
1: came out last year. That was quite. Yeah. Mamma Mia, here we go again. What What else was there? Well
2: I mean, yeah. you, I've, missed, you... I've, I've missed the boat. The Rock. I missed that.
1: Yeah.
2: I missed uh, Love Actually. I've seen <laughs> clips of some of these films because you can't avoid seeing clips. But. Um, yeah and I missed oh, uh yeah about time.
1: Yeah I I for, for me I get people's problems with the films but also they feel almost like a warm hug to me also,
0: Well that sums it up that yeah. sums
2: it up you know they're like um it's like sponsored by Clinton's cards you know it's all just uh aphorisms and platitudes to me it's kind of um what's interesting is uh, I haven't seen those little clips from about time and I knew Do you know what I thought he's going to do this I thought to myself Ages and ages ago, I thought, I bet he, I bet he starts trying to copy Wes Anderson. And just from looking at those little clips, I think yeah, I think he's, I think Wes Anderson has a big influence on him, and uh, I, I think I he's trying that, to go yeah. down that route. He came up to me at the party and he went, uh, he was a massive fan of the office. Richard Curtis, fair play. He came up to me at the party and he went, Keith, Keith, and I said, hello. I'm a Richard Curtis fan. I do love, I love Blackadder. I think Hat is an absolute work of genius. And I like, went, "You're Keith like that?" And I went, "Yeah, I play." For you. I thought, you know, you expect somebody in the industry to sort of call you by your first name. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm not not go down that route. But um, and he was very nice to me, and we had a little chats. And I said, "Oh, you know, hey, feel free to use me." And he went, "Oh, I'll definitely use you. Yeah, no worries, mate. Don't worry, i it." Uh, but that was the last time I ever heard from him or saw him. But it was, very, I you know. It'd be great nice. if this
1: podcast clicks it back into place, and next thing we know, you've got you're the you're the lead man in the next
2: in the next hit rom com. I think I think I've burnt those bridges, but um <laughs> <laughs> he uh yeah no I, I'm you know listen no one likes Black Adam more than I do. He's, he's obviously very good at, at
3: Black, that Black Adam, style. Mr. Bean, Vicar of Dibley, like yeah they're they're just
1: genius. But I yeah. do get people's problems and why people don't like these. Rom-coms, I think they are still an acquired taste. And I mean, I've been, I've been laughed at several times on local radio when I've referred to About Time as my favourite film. Yeah. Uh, Because as a, and, as a, as a hoping to establish, as hoping to establish myself as a filmmaker, and when everyone's, you know, chatting about Kielowski and all these other things, and I'm like, yeah, they're good, but my favourite film is About Time. Like, I don't know, I, I know it's weird. But also part of it, I've always felt that in these events, often people are lying when they're when they're listing all these obscure foreign films as like all the stuff they love. It's like sometimes they're right, I'm sure.
2: Let me just let me ask you, let me ask you because I've uh, I used to be I used to watch films absolutely loads and loads and loads of films, and I'm not a massively I'm not a massive fan of the rom com genre, but I am a fan of uh, ensemble comedies and so on. Have you ever have you seen any was Anderson films? I've seen
1: two, I think. I've, I've been meaning to watch others. I've seen Grand Budapest Hotel and I forgot what the other one was that I saw. It begins uh oh, Rushmore is the other one. Okay. Yeah.
2: Have you I'll, seen any any Todd Solon's films?
3: I'm gonna have to double check, it's an emerald I, don't, I film. don't think that
2: would like him. And uh what about Robert? I tell you, if you want to see if uh, what Richard Curtis should be making, go and see some of the films Robert Altman made in the nineties, like The Player and Shortcuts. Yeah. They're incredible. The Robert no. Robert Altman. He's a he's a he's a, love Robert Altman films.
1: I'm going to have a look now because once again, these these are names that I've heard. and
2: um, yeah,
1: uh, have I seen them? these? Are really, uh, yeah, a lot of his films that i to be films that I I know exist and have been meaning to watch yeah. and haven't. So yeah, I'll definitely seek some of them out and it's great to have this perspective on here as well of you being someone who's not a fan of the rom-com because most people who come on
2: yeah sure talk about yeah, their yeah.
1: appreciation which is good, because it's just a view i've been waiting to have from someone um yeah. so i mean do you know much about the plot of about time or anything like that or is this just completely fresh
2: i know it's about time travel
1: there we go you're better than one of the guests who have had on didn't know anything about the film <laughs> he was getting a bit confused as to what was happening when he <laughs> didn't know that it was a time travel movie. That's that's
2: one. But thing. I don't think there was much time travel in any of the clips that I've got sent.
1: No, I don't think so.
2: This they all is, seem to be in a wedding.
1: Yeah, this latter part of the film, there isn't that much time travel as he, you know, starts appreciating life more. Yeah. He doesn't go back to do things. He doesn't say that until even later in the film. But yeah, there's a lot more bits of time travel early on in the film when we've got Margot Robbie playing Charlotte and him continually going back in time to. Impress her over and over again That this is, yeah we don't Get as much here But this, within the context of the film This minute that we're looking at First, minute 71 And a hint of last week when we looked at minute 70 I unashamedly say that Several times I've watched this I tear up when that music starts playing Like, I know it's Quite over the top, I mean Obviously you need the context of the rest of the film I think it might have been in the bonus minute we sent you As to how like, he wants Il Mondo playing, and she didn't want it at her wedding. So when it starts playing, there's just something so...
2: You see, in my, head, in my head, when Richard Curtis is writing the script, he's writing in the margin, people should start crying at this point. That's how cynical I reckon he is as a
1: writer. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs>
2: I don't know. Richard, if you're listening,
1: email us. Let us know.
2: Richard, did you write in the margin? Surging music should cause people to start crying at this moment. It's a good, it's a talent to have pulling the heartstrings, yeah. you know, it's a
1: yeah. talent. He manages it quite a lot.
2: Yeah, he knows where to, he knows where the beats are in a film, he knows where the beats are. You know, I, mean, know, I have seen Notting Hill and, and Four Weddings, you know, I've seen a couple of his stuff, so I know what he's doing.
1: Have you seen his episode of Doctor Who?
2: No, I'm not really a Who, a Who, I used to, I was a Who fan as a kid in the late 70s, 80s, but I'm not really into the new, the new ones. Mm. They mm-hmm. were sanitized, for me.
1: That's that's fair enough. And he did one episode of Doctor Who with Vincent Van Gogh, and okay. it was just am- amazing because really it ended nice. up. It was it was dealing with this is not much of a spoiler to listen to. Or listening really, it's a standalone episode dealing with Van Gogh's depression, and it was all about Van Gogh being attacked by like an invisible monster that only he could see, which I think was oh, just yeah. powerful in itself. But then there's this wonderful scene where they think they can cure his depression. By taking him forward in time to see how much he's loved. And you see his reactions to all of these things, but then they go, but ba- they go back to the museum after they've dropped him back off and they're like, there'll be tons of new paintings from Van Gogh. And there's nothing because it's not that simple. And it's just, you know, for what's essentially a kid's show, it was just like, really well done.
2: Yeah. Oh um, yeah. I'm aware of that kind of that, yeah, that message that you have with time travel will a lot. It's like the, it's <laughs> like Back to the Future where his, his picture starts fading. Because yeah. he's managed to write himself out of, uh, out of history by changing
1: it. There's a later version similar to that later on in this film, which, I mean, as you said, you're not going to watch any other Richard Curtis films, I guess, have we got your permission to spoil it for you? <laughs> Absolutely, go <at laughs> okay. 100%. So there's a plot later on where they've got a child, and he goes back in time to a moment before the conception of the child. So the child then changes from a girl to a boy because it was that specific sperm at that specific moment. And so if he changes anything before the conception, then everything messes up. So, yeah, that's that's one of the, the odd things. And, I mean, now, even before we open the dialogue for this minute, Il Mondo playing, Richard Curtis has got a big story on this. He'd been meaning to use Il Mondo in something for ages, as when he was on holiday to Elba. He used to go to a cafe where there was a jukebox at the same time as Il Mondo was number one in the charts in Italy. And he used yeah. to always go down there, play Il Mondo and eat lemon sorbet. And then he bought three copies of the album, or of the single. And he tried to fit it in. He wrote an entire sitcom sent it to the BBC called Yes Minestrone, just to right. see whether he could use Il Mondo as the theme song. And he'd been trying to put it in his work for years. And at this point, he finally did it. And then Jimmy Fontana, who wrote and sang Il Mondo, died shortly after the film came out. But Richard Curtis was asked to give a quote for his obituary. I haven't actually checked to see whether I could find that quote. But yeah. I I I, I, I love this music, mostly because of the film, but I think it is a great song. Even
0: It's amazing
2: how it's amazing it's, how films do that. Films can um can make you look at a piece of music the, the way you never felt before. it happens a lot, mm. you know. I did with uh you know, with uh Donnie Darko with the the old Tears for Fears song they use in that, which kind of now you hear the song even though I'd heard the song for years. Now, when I hear the song, all I can think of is the film, you know, because they used it so well.
1: Yeah, I can't. I can't think of any specific examples myself, but I know that there have definitely been occasions yeah. with that. I mean, I guess with Love Actually and All You Need Is Love, like that was quite powerful. He then did the exact same thing in Yesterday, and I didn't actually mind that. But it's what, um... you did the same.
2: What Richard Curtis did did something formulaic. That's, that's unheard <laughs> <I>
1: of. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess to fit within the canon of the universe. Yesterday was set in a new universe where the Beatles didn't exist, so thus, in the universe of Yesterday, Love Actually didn't feature that song, so he could get away with doing it again. I don't know. Yesterday I really enjoyed as a film. Like, I recommend... I mean, even if you just watch it as a Danny Boyle-directed film rather than as a Richard Curtis-written film. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a good thing, but it's almost similar to About Time in the way that It doesn't want you to get stuck up in figuring out the rules of, well, the rules of this being the rules of time travel, or yesterday being how on earth he got into that situation. It's more, here's a situation we're in, here's how we're going to tell a story with it, which some people like, some people don't. But I think, I I don't mind the idea of not getting too stuck up with the rules of it all, because about time could fall to pieces if you start analysing the rules of time travel, but then what's the point of doing that when the film's all about sentiment and love and family? Absolutely. Well, there you go. Absolutely. So the, I mean, the opening of this is we've got the music playing as Mary walks down the aisle. And so that the translation of the song, I'm not about to try and read it out in Italian because that'd probably be offensive. The translation of the song is, and the world revolved around me as always, spin the world spin in the endless space with newborn loves, with loves already over, with joy and pain, people like me, Oh world, only now do I look at you. In your silence I get lost and I'm nothing next to you and I'll go to the rest later on. It's actually quite interesting that so Robert, the translation that you got for this, I assume you just literally translating the lyrics yourself yeah. on that Google Translate. Yeah. Is very different to the actual English version of the song that's available.
3: Well they probably like, have to change it to get like rhymes going and
1: Yeah. It just feels like a completely different song. I hadn't even translated the lyrics before, but yeah, it's it's good. Both versions really. And I mean, once again, obviously you and you need like the setup as to, as to the music and everything and the love between the music between him and his dad. But I think you get a little bit of this with, you know, his, his shock at it and Mary saying that it's for you and then his, his dad's dancing. So Um, is
2: is his dad sort of dead or something? I mean, what's the deal there? Not
0: yet, but later. Yeah.
2: I thought maybe his dad was dead and that but he came back because of the time travels i don't know i i wasn't sure you're never sure you're never sure with bill Nye. he just tends to float through things and you're not sure if he's if he's how really is but yeah i mean yeah,
1: yeah with this i mean the rules of time travel in this universe to as simply as possible is basically he can go back in time to any point in his own life but only if he remembers it And that's done by going into a dark room, closing his eyes and clenching his fists and thinking of the moment he goes back to. And all the men in his family can do that. So later on in the film, when his dad does die, he can go back in time to see his dad after his dad's death. Until his wife says that they want a new baby and then he can't go back before that conception of that child. So it's literally have a child or kill your father that is the decision he has to make.
2: Right. I'm guessing he kills his father.
1: He does, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: That's
1: it just makes yeah. for some wonderfully sentimental moments, but once again it sort of depends whether you're the person who gets mm. so emotional about these sentimental moments. As
0: Wouldn't it have been I amazing
2: think. if he'd chosen not to have a kid and just have his father live forever? That would have been brilliant. Mm.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I'd, <laughs> I'd imagine that the number of times he'd go back to see his dad would mean that his dad's life would have ended up being completely different. Like, his dad life will end up just being full of occasions of him meeting his dad. <laughs> and all the it things give, his dad would have done.
2: It would give his dad time to go and do stuff like having a Christmas number one single and things like that.
1: <laughs> oh, I mean, Incidentally, this is... Considering how Bill Nye is normally in films, or at least a lot of the films I've seen, there are some where he's quite like this. But, I mean, Bill Nye said when he took this role he'll do it if he didn't have to act. Um... <laughs> And so he decided to play this as he just would be in these situations. So he seems quite different to how he is as Billy Mack in The or how he is in, uh, I mean quite similar to how he is in The Girl in the Cafe, maybe, but different to how he is in The Boat that Rocked, different to how he is in Sean of the Dead. You know, he's a, he's yeah, Bill Nye yeah, yeah, playing a, yeah. a
2: likable character, which is quite fresh. Yeah, he is good at, he is good at The Nasty, The Nasty as well, Bill. Yeah, very good.
1: Um so it, it did surprise me when I saw this for the first time where I was like, okay, Bill Nye's character's dead and I'm feeling really sad about it because that's not what, what I expect going into a Bill Nye movie. Yeah. So then, after the wedding, we get the torrential rain unless Robert has any comment on visuals for the wedding particularly.
3: Uh, no, I just point out the outside of the church is Port United Church, which is 14 miles from their house, but I don't think they walked that far. Yeah, you did, also you not,
2: did you not feel the color? The color scheme was a bit Wes Anderson. Is that just me? Am I reading too much into it? The it's color scheme similar. is similar. I up, don't know
3: if it comes from Wes Anderson. No, 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 okay. It's yeah. Definitely, this movie definitely uses color in a similar way to Anderson.
2: Well, pastels and things in it. So, yeah. yeah. Well,
3: if you if you'd seen scenes where they're like inside their house, uh, Tim often blends in with the walls.
2: Right, like, yeah, and
3: it feels very deliberate. Like he's kind of invisible when he's at home. Yeah, because the and outsiders
1: then, to the family. Mary's
3: red of... dress here is like the first time someone's worn red in this movie, and right. so it makes her stand out from the family and from everyone else. Yeah. Incidentally,
1: apart from her jumper in the
3: previous scene, which is just right
1: odd, but yeah, it's, it's the red dress is an interesting choice. I right. Like, yeah, I like it, and it, I think it makes this scene a lot more memorable. Because it separates, I, I guess it stops you from getting it mixed up with other weddings and other films, maybe. Mm-hmm. Especially Richard Curtis. And then works. she like
3: kind of dances down the aisle, and it, it gives you some nice mm. visuals you'll remember. I guess one of the and other other then the rain is, makes it even better. I guess one of the other questions you and is have you seen
1: any other Rachel McAdams time travel movies?
2: <laughs> mm, yeah, no, I haven't. <laughs> there's one. There's another one, isn't there?
1: There's two others. There's two. time traveller's wife and midnight. Time, time. traveller's
2: wife. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and no, could, I was. Haven't, haven't you that. could also
1: slightly count as a half Doctor Strange, although he doesn't time travel in Doctor Strange. But basically, she has never. She's always played someone who knows someone who's travelling in time, and has never played the time traveller. So, I think Robert. I think what I need to do is I need to write a script which just involves a brief cameo of Rachel McAdams oh. travelling in time and yeah. see whether she'll take the role, whether she'll fly for free to Shropshire, turn up, do one scene and leave, just <laughs> so you can tick that box on her CV.
2: Or just make her the next Doctor Who, you know. That's what i said.
1: Yeah, we've talked about that before, and she, she'd be yeah. good, I think. Yeah, I'm sure she yeah. would, yeah, yeah. If we were going to get an American Doctor, it should be Richard McAdams.
2: Who knows? Maybe you heard it here first,
1: you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm... I think I've gone on record as a saying I'm not a big fan of Jodie's Doctor. I'm not against a woman doctor, I'm just not a fan of Jodie Whittaker as the Doctor. I think she's a okay. good actress, I think Chris Chibnall can be a good writer, but I think somehow they're both just not good <laughs> in the end result.
2: <laughs> I, I, I I went... At university I did a, play, a Doctor Who play and we actually had a female Doctor years before anyone else did.
1: Was this before the comic relief sketch with Joanna Lumley?
2: This would have been in about The early nineties. Oh yeah. Uh, Possibly just
3: before, yeah.
2: Good work. Yeah. Yeah. And our female doctor now works for NASA. So there you go. (laughs) Maybe she will eventually be the
1: real equivalent.
2: (laughs) She was the first person. she went on to she went to study AI in America and she was the first person as part of her PhD to invent a a computer that could tell a joke. Okay. Yeah. So there you go.
1: That is a, not the way I expected that anecdote to go. That is brilliant. So, yeah, I mean, I, I love this whole scene of the rain and the wedding. And yeah. did, did either of you get the chance to watch the video I sent over about how yeah. this was done?
2: Yeah, about people getting the fire hoses in their faces yeah. and stuff like that.
1: Uh, yeah. It's, I guess, it's it's an element that I hadn't really thought about too much, but like, which is kind of weird because normally when I watch films, I go, I tend to think so in depth as to how everything's done. You know, I'll. I'll sit and watch a film and I'll often not be focused on the plot because I'm picturing the screenplay in my head or I'm imagining what the sets are like and all these other things. And for some reason, like I don't know, that like rain and storms are things that I've never really thought about. So to see how much effort had to go into this, it's
3: just Rain
2: brilliant. is rain is a nightmare, rain, weather is a nightmare when you're filming. Rain isn't always a problem because actual rain doesn't register on camera. Yeah, so if you're filming and it's it raining. It doesn't register, but it does make people wet. So it's an absolute nightmare if you want to see with rain. Uh, what you've got to do is you've got to actually get weather machines in that actually register the rain on camera. So, yeah, rain is always an interesting one.
1: Yeah, having filmed with rain in, in one of my shorts um, last year, it was quite annoying. Little glimpses managed to get picked up on camera, thankfully. Yeah. Like, we thought we were going to be safe because we were like, OK, we found shelter, we'll just film the actors and be there. They weren't getting wet. But the noise of the rain was
0: just,
1: yeah, yeah I, I mean, I think it turned out in, okay in the end of it. So the atmosphere, once again, a zero-budget film from a 16-year-old. People don't expect weather machines. I mean, we, we would have waited for it to pass if it wasn't our lead actress's 21st birthday.
2: Bad timing, you see. Bad planning. Bad planning.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I was still surprised that she came and did the film on her 21st birthday. That was, that was good yeah. work. But yeah, um, so... The, yeah, the rain's pouring, we've got little snippets of dialogue like, now I'm caught, I've got it, I've got it, help me, oh, um and other glimpses. <laughs> I mean, I don't think there's even much point in reading all of this dialogue, we hardly hear it.
2: It's funny because I'm, uh, I'm with my, uh, I'm staying with my parents, uh, during lockdown, and, uh, I was, the other night they were, for some reason, they decided, just out of the blue, they were gonna watch, uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral again, mm-hmm. and, uh, I was watching something else on the, on my laptop. But I did, I was aware of it. And, uh, a lot of similar, they have a, they have a the very famous scene in The Rain yeah. as well. And there's a very famous scene at a wedding as well. Mm. So it's All interesting how the tropes, at the wedding. yeah, it's amazing <laughs> how these tropes kind of, uh, keep coming back, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the good thing is Richard Curtis has been like one of the only rom-com filmmakers who doesn't end the film at the wedding necessarily. Like, he's one of those who does, you have the wedding, and then the film carries on. Yeah. Which is something fresh. I mean, I think, in general, the whole format of About Time is quite fresh. In the fact that the whole film is, these scenes are so short because they're almost just like memories. Tim Tim narrates the film, and he's telling us, almost the story of his past nine years. And so, you know, some of these scenes are longer, some of them are shorter, little glimpses of things. And often we'll think, hang on, you know, why is this so short so like he spent a summer with margot robbie and we get it in like a five minute montage then it's like oh yeah well nine years later you'd only remember it as you know a brief flash of a couple of things you remember and then carry on so whether that's intentional yeah. on the writing or whether we're giving him more credit who knows but i i, I appreciate it as the format and the, the good thing is saying that it's him narrating the story and that he could be an unreliable narrator covers up any plot holes with the film entirely
2: so well, we, you know, it's time travel is a nightmare to write. No, no one's—I don't think there's ever been a perfect time travel film because, just by the very nature of it, it leaves loopholes lying around. That's the thing. Yeah. Time Crimes does a good job. Okay.
3: It's time on, Crimes. Uh, I, think yeah. it's, I think it's a Spanish film.
0: where this oh, I think guy I've seen that.
3: He goes through a time loop like three times, and at one point, he realizes. Yeah, yeah. He's the person he saw before, so he just puts on the mask. He's like, okay, I have to do what I saw me do. That's quite so, recent, isn't it? I think I saw that, yeah. It's like a decade ago, maybe. You know? Yeah. I'll add
1: that to a list of things to watch. This is good. I feel like I'm just... Yeah, like, I was... To, to my friends, I'm the film guy, and then I host this show with Robert, and he just names all these films I've never <laughs> heard of. And it just... Yeah, drops it completely. But I guess... Yeah, I'm I'm like one of the few people in like the the film study community per se, or at least you know like say in film study classes or among the film people, as I said before, who likes rom coms as much. And I don't know why. As I said, I mean I know that this feels like Richard Curtis specifically feels like a like a warm hug, but I don't know about the other other rom coms. Some, some of them I don't like. Some of them are so bad, but I think. At least quite often they're things you can sit down and turn your brain off.
2: Yeah, there used to be a good a good director in the, the 80s called John Hughes. Yeah. who I mean. used to do great rom-coms, mm. you know, with a slight edge. used to do things like Pretty in Pink and The Breakfast Club. The
1: only problem I've got with Pretty in Pink is that he basically remade it with Same Kind of Wonderful. Like, yeah, well. I prefer Same Kind of Wonderful as well, which I think yeah. isn't. I'm glad that you agree with me, Robert, because a lot of people haven't. (laughs) But I think it's, (laughs) I think St. Kinda Wonderful's the better one, but I know I watched that first. Which incidentally was originally going to be about a child spy, and then slowly ended up being a a gender swapped pretty in pink. Yeah. Um, But yeah. I I guess that does make sense, and it's good, glad that you made that comparison, because Richard Curtis and John Hughes are both two people I look up to, because, yeah, like the comedy that that John Hughes does as well, with like National
3: Lampoon's Vacation and stuff like that, like, yeah.
2: Oh, John Hughes was just uh, amazing, you know, some of the stuff he did, some of the, uh, stuff he created, some of the greatest comedy, you know, Plains Trains and automobiles. Bills, mm-hmm. Ferris Bueller, The Breakfast Club, you know, just some of the best, best comedies there have been, really. He was just oh, a genius.
1: I think the thing is that because once he, because of how close he ended up being to John Candy, that I think the decline in the quality of John Hughes films can almost be put straight to the moment that John Candy passed away. Like, cause John Candy passed away and then, you know, years later you slowly get more of the kids films that he did that don't go down as well. Stuff like, I mean they're fine. Baby mm-hmm. Day Al, Flubber, Home Alone 3. Yeah, well he kind of, he, film
2: stopped, films. he stopped directing though, didn't he? He stopped directing them.
1: Mm.
0: Uh,
2: so he, he, he was a weird one because he used to, he was a prolific writer. But he only actually directed a handful of, uh, of the films. So even though a lot of them you think of as John Hughes films, it was more that he was the writer or the producer. Yeah. yeah. But I think after the, you know, pretty much after the eighties, he almost stopped directing. stuff. Yeah. And even uh,
1: writing. Like I know he wanted to see whether a film could still be good if he wrote it, but they didn't know he wrote it. So with Beethoven, yeah. he went to Edmund Dante. As and I don't know when people found out it
3: was John Hughes, but. But I think at least the first Beethoven film, maybe the second I one. I think I just yeah. found that out when you just said it. <laughs>
2: I didn't know that one.
3: Yeah. There you
2: go. Wow. I'm not surprised that I didn't know that. One. Mm. But I think a lot of people would just have not bothered watching Beethoven because they thought it was a kids' film and not a, a mature comedy. You know? Yeah. I
1: I don't remember it. I know I've seen it, but I don't remember it. And I think he, yeah, if what I see, he only wrote the first one. Um, other than like character credits, obviously for the stuff, but. I'm definitely going to give it another watch at some point. And as far as I remember, I quite liked Baby's Day Out, but I haven't seen that in years either. <clears anymore. throat> so I think, yeah, I mean, I think both Richard Curtis and John Hughes less, but still quite a bit with some of his films are enough for switch off your brain <laughs> films. I mean, yeah, especially some of like, I mean, I I think that the greatest of John Hughes's teen movies is Sixteen Candles, and
3: a lot of people seem to
1: forget yeah, a lot that one think, exists. Yeah. Um. I love Sixteen Candles. But yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely a lot that they have in common. And I guess to an extent, Pretty in Pink and Bridget Jones's Diary go down similar routes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely there's sort links, yeah. I Bridget Jones was based on the book, but still, I'd imagine there are the influences there in terms of... I mean, I'm sure there's lots of films about two men fighting over a woman, but the two character types, you know, one being the old... Family friend, and the other being
3: that, that goes back to like the book Emma, doesn't it? Yeah, as well, possibly which Bill Nye's in the latest movie, of, so hey, circle back.
1: Which on the day of recording came out on DVD today, apparently. So yeah. I need to get hold of it because I missed that. It, it. It's it.
3: it's Bill Nye not acting again, but dressed <laughs> in old timey clothes. I'm not
1: go. I'm not normally one for like historicals that much, but often when they are comedy, as Emma is yeah. I tend to prefer them. There's a few historicals I like, but for the most part, I don't know. I think they have they have to be really
3: good for me to enjoy yeah. a historical.
1: Um, what was the one that I watched recently? I know it's reasonably, it's probably about a good few years old now. I watched Dangerous Method recently with Keira Knightley. Ah. I really enjoyed that one, just because her performance in that is incredible. I'll
2: tell you what, actually, thinking about it, I just had a little look back on my... Uh... My, like, film notes I keep. There is actually a, a Richard Curtis written rom-com that I absolutely love, and I've forgotten about it. Ah, uh, which one? The Tall Guy. Uh, I knew you were going to say that back. once, because that's the one everyone forgets. The Tall Guy, what a film that was. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I only watched it
1: recently, so I've only seen it once, but I really liked it. It's
2: It's great. very different it's great. to
1: other Richard Curtis stuff. It's oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a lot more absurdist. I mean, it's, yeah, like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's more like his Blackadder and Mr Bean and all that side of things, rather yeah, than yeah. this. I mean, I think even just the sex scene in the Tall Guys is an example Absolutely. of
2: how oh, yeah. over the top. The absurdity of it as well, the whole kind of uh, the musical of the Elephant Man and everything, is just fantastic.
1: Mm. Yeah, and that that goes that takes up quite a lot of the film. That musical, and it's yeah, it's yeah. really yeah. good. <laughs> so and yeah, Robert, I guess the question is whether we go on to a tall guy minute after about time.
3: <laughs> I'd have to oh, watch I'll definitely it again. Be back. I'd be back. I haven't that. seen the tall guy since the eighties, so I don't know. What what yeah, what if you sad. just remained having not seen it and you just watch it a minute at a time each week? That would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be, well, it'd be frustrating. Yeah. I
1: don't yeah. Think, yeah. Depends how much how long lockdown lasts. I guess. Because <laughs> I'm surprised yeah. how quickly you have got through this. It also depends whether my family want me back, because I spend, like, two or three evenings every week here.
2: If lockdown's still going in two years, then maybe.
1: Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I talked with one of my friends about doing Finding Nemo a minute at a time. Very different film, but probably would lend itself quite well to Nemo a minute, I'd imagine. Um, anyway, about time. Um, so, yeah, they're sort of running about in the rain. They're still on mm-hmm. 72. Um the lyrics continue to the world it never stopped for a moment. Are we on seventy why 71. am I on seventy we're on seventy one? Why have I got seventy two open? Never mind. Uh <laughs> The World never stopped for a moment. The night always chases the day. And I mean, Robert, you're yeah, you you as a visuals person, just overall of seventy one, what I mean you've got the marquee splitting and all of that stuff, like what where, where do you go with the visuals on this? What what's your opinion? Uh
3: I, they're fine. I mean, I, one thing I notice is there's a lot of camera setups for a scene that's going to involve rain. Yeah. Because they did a lot of different shots of the crowd, different combinations of people. The the one meaningful visual is that uh, Jay has a purple tie, which will matter. Later. Oh yeah, that's a that's that's a good
2: good purple word. tie.
3: Hmm. Well, since we can spoil things for you, he will be set up later with Tim's yeah, yeah, sister, yeah. whose color is purple. Everything she wears is purple. Yeah. So, that he's wearing purple in this scene their first scene together. It's, they were both at the party but they weren't really seen. It. Yeah, it's it's good. Um so
1: apparently Donal and Rachel carefully missed the marquee um scene. They didn't notice that uh Richie didn't notice that they were were both under there were both avoiding it and then I think in the end he decided, yeah, I just ruined their outfits a bit too much for them to the stay under there. I believe that Richard Curtis's sons can be spotted among that crowd, but I don't know which well, ones they are.
3: There's two little boys that the that you see really well at the uh, under the tent later, so I assume that's
1: them. Mm. Well, I don't actually know the age of his sons. I know that one of his sons comes back later on. Charlie Curtis comes back later on. We see his daughter in one of the next minutes in a very interesting idea for a cameo for his daughter, and we'll talk about that when that comes up. Um, oh, no, but yeah,
3: she's not the f- girl, is she?
1: She's number eight. Oh, okay. She's so
0: full she's, she's the other one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. He does love slipping in bit, those, uh, those kind of, uh, inappropriate <laughs> wedding moments, doesn't he? Yeah. I think he does it in four weddings a couple of times as well.
1: Yeah. Actually, do, you do get a little bit of time travel this week, do do we? Or is it next week? It is right. this week. It's not very the,
3: obvious time travel. It's sound effect cut to a new guy talking.
1: Yeah, so it's the, the swapping of best man. So I guess we can just slide straight into minute seventy two mm-hmm. um where it just it's it, it's still wet. I'm oh, sorry, the marquee is seventy two, isn't it? It's not seventy one. That's my mistake. Um and the the lyrics carry on to and the day will come, the world, That's it pretty much. There's not many other The
3: lyrics come back, but it's just repeating. Okay, you've got good notes for this minute, Robert. <laughs> this is, this is good levels of prep. There's some nice shots in here, even with people we don't know.
1: Yeah, and I like that we do see those people that we do know in here as well. Mm-hmm. Like, it's nice to see some of these characters, like, we didn't really need
3: to have Jimmy here or... Right. Um, At this point watching the movie, I don't think we'd even recognize Jimmy. We saw him in one scene, which was an hour ago. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we've heard his name mentioned. He's then here. Yeah,
3: you see, so he's it's here it's the good. whole time. It's,
1: yeah, it's good that he's consistent because yeah, we didn't need him there. We didn't need Joanna there. And I mean, actually, we haven't asked you Ewan, like, what what do you get out of like the, the cast that are in this film? Were there any surprises with the
3: people you saw in here?
2: Uh, not not massively. I uh I was I was slightly surprised that there weren't maybe more. People that I knew, there was, uh, well, I guess there was Lindsay, there was Lindsay Duncans in it, isn't there? Bill, yeah. Bill Tom Tom. oh, good old Tom Hollander, I did a short film with uh, Tom Hollander once. Nice. Uh a long, many years ago, Well I played somebody ni- who had the hiccups, so. Is he a nice guy to work with? Yeah, he was very nice, yeah, he was nice to work with, yeah, it was. He's just, he's just so
1: unlikable in this film, <laughs> it's just, I always, I always forget something yeah. nice
3: this minute.
1: Yeah, he is ni- He is nice. He, he's he's unlikable in the way that you can still like him. Yeah. I guess in the same way as you could say, calling back to the office, that David Brent is at times. You know, you you love to hate him.
2: I think again yeah. okay, with Tom Hollander, he's very he's very good at playing those sort of very weaselly, nasty, posh people. Mm. You know, where almost, almost their poshness is what's offensive about them. <laughs> He's done that in a couple of things, uh, where he's very good at doing that, I think. But then he's very good at playing, you know, very, he's obviously extremely likeable in, the uh, in Rev, in the sitcom Rev, which is great as well.
1: I don't think I've seen that. Um,
2: yeah, he's very good. Yeah.
1: Because I, I, I am intrigued to see more things wherein Tom Hollander is likeable. Because as Bill Nye being quite likeable in this was a surprise, like it'd be interesting to add that with Tom Hollander and other stuff because This was the main thing I know Tom Holland's from, just from how obsessed I've got with this film. But when I've seen him in other films, I instantly don't know whether we're supposed to like him or not, because I've already Mm -hmm. got all these, all these things linked to his character from about time to him. And you've also got Vanessa Kirby in these minutes, although I don't think you said anything.
2: Yeah, Rev's good, it's him with Olivia Coleman playing his wife, so they're two very good, they're very good together.
1: Why haven't I heard of it? (laughs) This seems just like the sort of thing that I...
2: It was yeah. a sitcom, it was, uh, it ran for a few years, sort of early, it started around 2010. Uh, I think it was BBC Two, but he, he co-wrote it as well, it was, it was good, it was very good.
1: Oh, yeah, I do know actually, yeah, I think I've seen clips but I didn't know the name of the show.
2: Yeah, he plays oh. a priest, he's the Reverend, he plays a priest in a local church, having to deal with like his crazy parishioners and everything.
1: I guess it's, I mean, is it? Oh, that 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 sounds as a premise, not too dissimilar to Vicar of Dibley, I guess. But... Do you
2: know what? It it sounds the the whole the premise on the actual show does feel very Richard Curtis ish. It is a very Richard Curtis ish esque, however you want to. I don't. Is Richard Curtis worthy yet of an esque?
3: Probably, I'd say. Yeah,
2: so. I'd say I, I would still give him a Richard Curtis ish <laughs> rather than a Richard Curtis esque.
1: But yeah, it's. It, I'll definitely give it a whirl. I'm always on the edge, which shows about Vickers, like being yeah. being a Christian in a Christian family as well. Like, I don't know, I'm always on the edge for these things. But it seems from it's what very, I'm just it's, very,
2: it. it's very it's un- very it's very very non offensive. It's not That's it's good. not at all anti Christian. it's probably good. the opposite the opposite of anything.
1: I will I'll probably order DVD straight after recording because I need stuff to watch in lockdown. Um, yeah. What was I watching recently? I can't remember. I've been watching a lot. So I keep doing the starting a rewatch of a show and then giving up halfway through. Um, Like I started rewatching series one of Community and then I'd like remember how well I know it and it's just not much point anymore. I'm like, I need to probably leave a pause between my rewatches because I'd literally only just finished rewatching Community before I decided to watch it again. Vicar of Dibley incidentally holds up to tons of rewatches. It's one of those which... It's almost the go-to show with my family where we've got nothing else to watch. We're having dinner in front of the telly and it's like, let's just go on to Netflix and watch Vicar of Um Same with Outnumbered. And th- those sort of British sitcoms you can just yeah, pop in. Yeah, I know out. what you mean. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And then, I mean, is, is, is there much else at all to say about the marquee and the rain? Or should we go... I, just, I always
2: look at things like that and wonder how many costume changes everyone had. Because it's so yeah. difficult to... uh to get someone back looking the same after they've been soaking wet, a lot it's, of times you, you, you like, get one take.
3: Yeah, it sounds like for outside they didn't worry about that. They just started throwing water and wind at people and saw what happened.
2: But you can't I mean they—they yeah. they like to make it sound like that, but technically you just can't get away with it. I mean, having been in rain scenes and things like that, you need to look—you know—if you have to look exactly the same ten minutes later, it's very well, really difficult. <laughs> If if they planned
3: for getting this done quickly, they could manage because there's yeah. not a lot of like meaningful dialogue going on out here. So it's just like film them getting like their photos taken, film them walking, film them with the tent collapsing.
2: Done. If they accept and, that, the, that, if you as long as you've got them filmed getting wet for the first time, yeah. then after that, yeah. from that point on, you can just basically wing it,
3: right?
1: Oh I yeah, mean, I think that I think that's the best way of going about it, and I. I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's just more work for the editors if they do it badly. <laughs> it just yeah. be, like, I think an editor could probably manage it, but it would just, yeah, take a lot of effort.
2: Um, you need a lot of coverage. You need a lot of coverage, or it's just yeah. editors. I know really.
1: So, yeah, I mean, I think it's such a such a great thing. And actually, yeah, so all of Minute 72 is just the rain as well, really. Yeah. So there's probably not too much else to say other
3: than if we've got any final thoughts before we wrap well, I, up. I, I I'd make a couple notes. Like I mentioned, we get to see Harry being nice. He gives his umbrella to an older woman. And yeah, but then, he, the then he
2: immediately sort of looks like he sort of did it grudgingly, doesn't he? Well, like well right, but
3: that's Harry as a character. As he's always okay. that angry. So even if he gives himself a reason to be, at least he did it by being nice to someone.
2: Mm. I thought he was just channeling the usual Tom Hollander energy.
3: <laughs> we also see uh, Desmond being normal with yeah. Desmond with Kit Kat, just walking in the rain. Uh Joanna at first is walking with a guy and then she just goes up the hill on her own. Right. Because he doesn't have an umbrella. And the dad has an umbrella but doesn't use it. Like he knows it's not it's pointless.
1: Yeah. Um so yeah, I, I like that possibly as you said, that she leaves that guy behind, yeah. and walks walk up, uh, cause I, I don't just get the impression that it's because of the rain, I feel like he's already done something to anger her, because she seems to always end up with the wrong guys, and always get overly angry. Um, incidentally, apparently, Vanessa Kirby had tried hard, as hard as she could to persuade Richard Curtis for her to have had Rupert as her date after the wedding, which would have been brilliant.
3: I, I wonder um, this wood sign that says "party." I wonder if this is how they announce the New Year's party, and that's why it's a bunch of strangers that show up. They just put a <laughs> sign outside. Yeah, maybe. So, have we got any concluding thoughts on these two minutes? We you know when they were filmed. Turn the behind-the-scenes footage. Seventeenth July twenty-twenty. Um, uh,
0: y- to- I twitching. Yeah, Sorry, carry on, Robert.
3: Uh, otherwise, my my mic seems to be catching it, so it's okay. Um, otherwise, no. It's a lot of shots of people pouring drinks. We see Jimmy pouring himself some champagne. It's fun. It's good.
1: So, Ewan, where can our listeners find you on social media?
2: At Ewan McIntosh on Twitter. That's the best place to go for everything.
1: And, Robert, where can the listeners find you? Lemmingdrops.com or social media Robert E.G. Black. And the listeners can find me on Twitter at the strange Twitter at of Lama underscore bottle zero. They can find me on Instagram at the Ginger Luke on Facebook at Luke Allen Film or all podcast short films, radio appearances, newspaper articles. Anything I'm remotely involved in is available at LukeAllen.kdk. And this podcast is on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Two Min's About Time. And they can also join our Facebook group, The Covered, to discuss all things about time, tangents. You know talk talk about whether you love or hate the film. Talk about whether you love or hate the guests. Talk about <laughs> anything and um, um so today's goodbye is brought as always, by this random article I found about interesting ways to say goodbye. and um, peace out, Girl Scout. thought I'd of bring back a rhyming one. The Two Minutes About Time theme is performed by Ethan O'Mahony and is a cover of the About Time theme, originally composed by Nick Laird Close. Two Minutes About Time is a production of Lemming Drop Studios in association with Bottle O Productions.